You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. In Psalm 96, I have a little bit of housekeeping to do. I am, I've been instructed to bring you greetings from Sekinani, Kenya. The believers there, um, when we're leaving, they're always saying, well, tell all the Americans we said hello. And it's like, I don't know all the Americans, but I know a really great group in Locust Grove, Georgia, and I can at least tell them. So uh, know that your hearts and their hearts are knit together. Um, they are doing well. If you follow Travis on Facebook, um, God just added another soul into his kingdom this morning there, and so we rejoice with them in that um, while you're turning in your Bibles to Psalm 96, several years ago, I heard a guy by the name of Steve Struker speak. He was in special forces. He was involved with Black Hawk Down and Mogadishu. He was one of the guys that went in to help rescue the downed guys. I know a lot of you have seen the movie or familiar with the story. Um, he became a chap after that, he became a chaplain for the special forces. And, um, because of what had happened that day, he decided he wanted to spend his time ministering to the soldiers that he went into battle with. Um, he's now a pastor in Columbus, Georgia. But when in his, his, he finished his speech with this, he said, Is what you're living for worth dying for? If not, why not? And so um, our, one of the things that uh, we'll see in 96 is um, it's worship to the Lord. It's just God's glory. There's nothing earth-shattering. There's nothing, I don't think there's anything brand new that you're going to see today, but there's a lot of good reminders for us in Psalm 96. I was sharing with both Michael and Mark at different times, and when I picked Psalm 96, I had this idea. This, I saw this missions phrase in it, and I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to have a mission sermon coming up in July. And then I started studying, and it's not, the main point really isn't, to convince everybody to be involved in missions. So uh, it went a totally different direction, praise the Lord. Um, my friend David Birch over at Faith Bible Church says, there are only two options on the shelf, live for God or live for self. So I believe one of the main points in this passage, I would like to edit what he says, there are only two options on the shelf, worship God or worship self. So in Psalm 96, let's read these verses uh, read them silently as I read them to you. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. 
Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Father, you alone are worthy of our praise and our worship. Father, I pray now that you would um, simply speak to all of us through these verses, that we would see how great you are, Father, and that we would worship you and nothing else. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So in verses 1 through 3, we see the command to praise. Sing to the Lord is mentioned three times immediately. For those of us that aren't as musical, aren't as musically gifted, um, that's a little hard. It's like three times. It's like I sing, but I kind of sing quietly. You know, it's like um, she's a singer in the family, so I'm just I sing quietly next to her and listen to her. Um, but what is it that we are to sing at the very beginning? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. So every week we have to come up with a new song to sing at church. No, that's not the point. What is this new song? If you'll flip back to Psalm 40, verse 1 through 3 for just a second. We read these verses. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When the Lord saves you, when the Lord saves me, he puts a new song in your heart and in my heart. What is the... So then my immediate thought is, well, what's the old song, right? The old song is worshiping myself. Everything before salvation was all about me. And in your life, it was all about you. But praise to the Lord, he has put a new song into the believer's heart. He heard my cry. I was hopeless. And you were hopeless without him. He drew me up from destruction out of the bog. He set my feet on a rock, and so he finally gave me a stable place to stand, and that's on him. He put a new song in my mouth. This new song is a song of praise to our Lord. My life is no longer about me. It is praise for his rescue and his firm salvation. So when we see in these first few verses, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, what is it that I'm going to, what am I supposed to sing to the Lord? Songs like we just got done singing. Songs that recognize his salvation in my life. It's a heart of thankfulness. We see in those same verses, all the earth in the end of verse one, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. People all around the earth, all people groups. This was not just for the Israelites. They are commanded to sing a new song of praise 
to the Lord. So it is always appropriate to sing a new song of praise to the Lord, especially when you are together with his people. That's why we come together, and that's why we sing about the new song that he has put into our hearts. We finished a series on spiritual gifts recently. The thing I kept hearing over and over and over was to build up the body. Well, one of the ways that we do that is we sing to each other. We come here and we sing and we hear people next to us. We hear people behind us sing better than us. And it's encouraging to our hearts. We see other believers just worshiping their Lord, being thankful to their Lord. And it's an encouragement to us. And God gets the glory for that. We also see that we're to tell of his salvation from day to day at the end of verse 2. That's what we're supposed to do in our songs. That's the song in our heart. Tell of his salvation from day to day. The songs that we sing each day should simply tell of his salvation. Also in verse 3, again, this is all in the command to praise. Declare his glory among the nations. Now my temptation is to give the mission sermon from here on out. Um, And that is it. But it's not about going to Sekinani, Africa. It's about my neighborhood. It's about the people that come to my church. It's about the people that I work with. And it's about the people in Sekinani, Kenya. And the other places that are near and dear to our hearts. So we are told to declare his glory. That's his character. So are you going and declaring his glory to the people around you? Are you telling people this is who God is? At the core of who God, this is who he is. That's his character. We're also told to tell about his marvelous works. That's his conduct. So I ask you the same question. Are you telling other people about his works, about his conduct? So at this point, from verses 1 through 3 in the command of praise, we want to walk away saying, I am going to sing a new song about his salvation in my life, and I'm going to declare these things, God's character and what he's done, his conduct, to everybody that I come in contact with, to all peoples. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, please. This is where this psalm comes from. I was trying to get at the heart of who's saying this song. Is it a psalm of David? What's going on here? First Chronicles chapter 16. Let's begin in verse 8. A um, little bit of context before we go there. You will hear some familiar language. The ark is being moved to Jerusalem. The ark comes into, I'm paraphrasing big time, but the ark comes into the tent. The Levites are given a song to sing, and that's Psalm 96. He has rescued them and given them an inheritance because he is loving, gracious, and merciful. That's his character. He does not kill them when they mess up the instructions for moving the ark, except for the one guy, right? He gives them a second chance. His character, he is holy, he is merciful, he is gracious. In his conduct, he rescues, he saves, he gives second chances. Let's look at 1 Chronicles 16, 8 through 22. 
Listen to this language. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed as a statute to Jacob, as an everlasting covenant to Israel, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. In verse 19, When you were few in number and of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. So then we see in verse 23 the same language that we see in Psalm 96. So that was leading up to it. Look at just a few of things beginning in verse 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And if you continue reading that, you'll continue to see a lot of Psalm 96 in it. And so verses, moving on to verses 4 through 6, back in Psalm 96, we see the recipient of praise. So our first three verses were the command to praise, and now we see the recipient of praise. So who is this God? There is a stark contrast between God and the gods of the people. So who is the Lord? Let's look at verse 4. The, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. The one who is great. What makes him so great? Well, that would be another whole sermon series for a couple of months. But he made the heavens. We also see in these verses, and we see ver words like splendor and majesty in verse 6. Splendor is a great brightness. We talk about that God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light, into his splendor. That's what splendor means. Majesty is before him. Majesty, that dignity that beauty, strength and beauty in his sanctuary. He is the one to be praised. He is majestic and excellently, his excellency transcends time. He was excellent with the Israelites. He's excellent with us and he will always be. He is to be feared above all gods. He is to be respected and revered because of who he is and what he has done. We see this in verses 4 through 6. We also see the gods of the people mentioned in verse 5. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. Worthless idols. 
That's what you and I worship before the Lord saves us. And sometimes we're tempted to turn back to those worthless idols. There is no worth in these idols because they have done absolutely nothing. They are incapable of doing anything. We say, oh, well, they bring me temporary joy. No, they don't even do that. We manipulate them, and it looks like they do that for us. These gods are worthless, were worthless, are worthless, and will always be worthless. The things that you and I are tempted to turn to to replace the Lord in our lives. So what are your worthless idols that do absolutely nothing? Let's think about them a little bit more. All of them center around ourselves. Some people say power is an idol. Why would anybody desire power? It's for them, right? I want the power. Popularity. For me, right? I don't have the idol of popularity for you. That doesn't even make sense. Comfort and convenience. That's for me, right? My spouse or my children. If I live incorrectly, I may using be even treating them as an idol in my life. I can't be happy without them. Convenience, the conveniences that we strive for, it's for me. Those do not, have not, do not, and will not satisfy the desires of your heart ever or my heart. They are never enough. How much power is enough? How much convenience is enough? How much comfort is enough? How much popularity is enough? Worthless idols are worthless because they place me on an imaginary throne. If I sat in the imaginary chair behind me, I would look like a fool. Even more so when I worship worthless idols. They focus on me as God, and that is just not a good idea for many reasons. For one, you shall have no other gods before me. We see that one of the Ten Commandments, right? Back in Exodus 20. Verse 3, also in Isaiah 42, 8, He, meaning God, will not share His glory. With the idols that I'm trying to worship, placing me on the throne that I'm most important, am I wanting the glory that only God deserves? So what will you give worth to as you live your life? The creator who has saved you through his grace and his mercy? Or will you attempt to give worth to yourself? The gods of the people that do nothing for you. Please do not be deceived. As we move to verses 7 through 10, we see worship from the nations. Let's read those again. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. 
we see the phrase families of the peoples in verse 7. This is all people groups. These are the people that are different than me. These are the people that are the same as me. The invitation goes out to the Gentile groups, not just the Israelites that we saw in 1 Chronicles. God is to be worshipped by every people group and every tribe. He tells us to, in verse 7, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. God is to be... Sorry, I said that. If we worship the way God instructs, if we give Him the honor due Him, if we tell His marvelous works like we see in verse 3, then we are being missional or missions-minded. So yes, go tell the nations about Him and His works beginning right here in our own backyard. So we do see ascribe glory and strength the glory that is due to him. I was thinking about the three songs that we've already sang this morning. Um, they lined up perfectly with this. I don't know if somebody did that on purpose. Actually, I do. Um, yeah, it, it, when you think back to some of when death was arrested and my life began, and you sang that with all your heart this morning, you were declaring that to the people around you, weren't you? It wasn't just for you to make you feel good this morning. Is that a byproduct of singing to the Lord? Do we, are we encouraged in our spirit? Sure we are. But most of that came from the other people singing, not you singing. Ascribe to him the glory that is due him. That should probably take us a long time, shouldn't it? How much glory is due to the Lord? What has he done in your life and in the life's of his people throughout the ages. As you go back and read in the Old Testament, as you go read what has Jesus done in the New Testament, we, we, I feel like I should turn this back into a classroom. If you just started naming those things to me, we would be here for quite a while. Acknowledge him as God. Yes, you are God and I am not he is above all in worth and in glory. This is not an exhaustive list by any means. He is omnipotent. We see his power, his strength. There is nothing stronger than him. You know, my biggest fear is that I'm going to turn two pages instead of one. In your worship, do not neglect giving him this glory. Don't let this only be theoretical in your mind. Oh, yeah, we come to church and we sing songs, we give him glory. Got it, got it. But as you consciously sing these songs to the Lord, this new song that he's put into your heart, is that a conscious thought in your mind that I'm desiring to give glory to him? Acknowledge this publicly. Bring an offering and come into his courts. We see that in verse 8. We could turn this into a giving sermon too, couldn't we? What kind of offering does he want? I don't want to lessen financial giving. But they were commanded to bring an offering into his courts and to come into his courts. 
worship him in the way that he's prescribed. We don't have to get fancy and clever and try to figure out this thing. He tells us how he desires to be worshipped. This offering actually refers to a thank offering of a joyful, cheerful giver. It's more than a ritual. It's more than, okay, where's the plate? Where's the giving box? Let me go give my cash, my check. No matter how you give, are you a cheerful giver? Are you just giving out of thanks to the Lord for what he's done in your life and you want to see that done in other people's lives as well? Come to where the people worship. We see that. Bring an offering and come into his courts. The courts actually references the area around the tabernacle and the temple. The point, meet together with God's people. And in our case here at South Point, we do that in a variety of ways. You obviously have done it today. And as life groups meet during the week, meet together with his people. When you meet in life group, talk more about, um, well, let's talk less about our vacations and what football teams we're going to cheer for in the fall. And let's declare his marvelous works to each other. When we ask, hey, how was your week? Do I have an answer? So it's fine. It's good. Can you tell about his marvelous works that he's done in your life this week? Then as if you meet with a DNA group, which we encourage you to do, men with men and women with women, what are you doing there? If you're encouraging each other in scripture reading and confessing sins to one another, are you also giving him glory for what he's doing in your life? God convicted me of this this week. Is that giving him glory? Sure, God showed that to you. You didn't come up with that on your own. But meet together with God's people the way he's prescribed. Worship him due to his holiness. Um, I wish we could gather up for one more song right now, but I'd put everybody on the spot. Everybody knows the old hymn, Holy, 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 correct? It's one of the classics. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He transcends time. This was not just a hymn for 100 years ago or for 40 years ago for our grandparents or our parents. The heart behind that hymn is for us today, and we heard similar words in the songs that we sang today. In verse 9, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Tremble? Okay, I can strive to worship him in the splendor of holiness, recognizing his holiness. He's also telling me to tremble before him. A lot of times when we talk about fear in the church, we talk about the awe or the reverence before the Lord, correct? And it seems like we've gotten away from fear of, not terror, I don't want to say fear and terror of somebody, but when you're in awe or reverence of something, there is also a fear to that, isn't there? Let's use some physical examples. Go to the Grand Canyon. 
How close to the edge do you get before you're like, wow. You're just awed by the vastness of the Grand Canyon, right? Y'all have been out there. I'm not going to put y'all on this. You kept your kids away from the edge. No. John lives dangerously. <laughs> Let me go to somebody else. Um, but even sitting on the edge of the Grand Canyon, there's probably been a little bit of fear. I better ease on down to my seat here, right? Those things that we might be in awe of, and just in creation. There's some, there's some fear with it too. Oh, look at the huge mountains. Look at this. Look at that. Look at the beach. Look how vast the ocean is, right? But I don't want the riptide to pull me out there. There's still some fear due to the power and the, right, of the things that we're in awe of. But this says tremble before him. So I've tried to study through that and say, what exactly is that? I don't want this to be my own opinion. Uh, be focused and reverent in your worship. There is a pattern to human responses to the presence of God in the Scripture. And it seems like the more righteous the person is described in Scripture, the more righteous that person is described as, the more he trembles when he enters the immediate presence of God. Let me say that again. It seems that the more righteous the person is described the more he trembles when he enters the immediate presence of God. Let's just look at two examples. When God appeared to Habakkuk, Habakkuk said, My lips quivered, my belly trembled, and rottenness entered into my bones. That sounds more like I'm just, I have this awe of the Lord. I see the difference between who God is and who I am, and that scares me. We are polar opposites. When God showed himself to Job, Job said this, I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. I have spoken once. I'll speak no more. I will take my hand and put it upon my mouth. It's almost that attitude of how dare I even speak in the presence of this holy God. I'm, I tremble at even speaking, so let me just be quiet. So the consistent report in Scripture is that every human being who is ever exposed to the holiness of God trembles in His presence. Do I tremble in his presence? This is how God has revealed himself to me. When I come before this, do I tremble? Or is it just another daily Bible reading I do? Come before him. Sing to him a new song. Ascribe to him the glory and this majesty that's due him. We also see worship from nature in 11 through 13. 
So not only does this passage tell humans to worship the Lord, but when we do, other things do as well. Let's lead into it through verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Verse 11, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Those verses cover just about everything. Let's look at it. The air, the heavens, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. The air, the water, the land, the trees, all parts of nature live out its God's given purpose. All of it points to the greatness of God. Like we mentioned earlier, we may go on vacation somewhere or see something and The beach people, why do, why do they like the beach besides sitting there and relaxing? But when they look out at the ocean, wow. Or the mountain people, that's me. Um, you're traveling through the roads and you see the mountains and you're like, wow, did God really just kind of say, let that appear? Or was that Noah's flood and the water was receding away? Or was that glaciers? Was that ice? What was that? Wow. But they all point to that there's something greater than man, doesn't it? But also notice it says, let the sea roar and all that fills it. What fills the sea? All the sea creatures, right? Are they fulfilling their God-given purpose? Yes. The field and everything in it, the grasses, the trees of the forest, the vegetation in the fields. Um... Yeah, just traveling down some of these roads, you see somebody growing their garden in the side yard. And they plant it, and this is this little, little bitty tomato plant. And then a couple weeks later, you see this big, huge tomato plant bearing fruit. What a neat lesson that, the God, that God gives us through nature. Really, a little tomato plant um, Bethany Kingsley left a uh, fig plant on our porch. And right now, it's just a little guy. I'm like, he looks healthy. It looks great. It's green leaves, and it looks awesome. But I don't think it's going to bear any figs looking like it it does right now because it's about this tall. I don't know if fig plants bear fruit when they're little, little guys like that or not. But... As my wife said, we need to figure out exactly where we're supposed to put that and what we need to do with that and nourish it. And then one day, we're going to have a fig tree. I guess, do y'all have one at your house, Stuart? Yes. Okay. So they have a fig tree at their house. One day, there's going to be a fig tree at the Bailey's house if we treat it correctly. And if that fig tree bears fruit, what an example. It just says right here that everything in it, everything in the field... That fig tree is doing what it's supposed to do. Bear figs, right? 
They all do what they were designed to do. And that's bring glory to the Lord. He is the creator. So in our speech to one another, do we encourage each other with, yes, God is your creator? God made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's where we get our view of life, the sanctity of life. Life is holy. That's where we get it from. Then all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. It's as if all of nature is just simply yelling out to us. Yes, God is real. The Lord accomplishes his work and you are responsible for that. We see in other scriptures that just through seeing nature, we know there's a God. That doesn't save us. But in our hearts, we know there is a God and that drives us to investigate him further. He comes to judge the earth in his righteousness. He's right to come and to judge. We don't like to talk about the judgment much. It is right for him to do so because it fulfills his word. He said he's going to. So it's right for him to come and to do that. He comes to judge the people in his faithfulness. When he comes to judge the peoples, he is being faithful to who he is. So what is he judging? Well, one, he's judging with equity. We see that in verse 10. He will judge the peoples with equity. You have certain opportunities. I have certain opportunities. You don't live the exact same life that I do, but you and I do live with the exact same purpose. He will judge the peoples and declare if there is a new song in their heart. What does that mean? If they are true worshipers of him. Are you a true worshiper of him? Or do people drag you into this place and tell you you're supposed to sing two to three to four songs a week? Is it a burden for you to declare the wondrous works of the Lord? Does it come easy for you? It's easy to say what the Lord's doing and what he's done. We can all grow in that. He's right to come and to judge. What does he do to when he comes and he judges and he just declares that, yes, here is a true believer in me. Here's a true follower of me. He says, come, you're welcome. Well done, good and faithful servant. And what does he do when he comes and he judges and he finds out that you or I are not a true worshiper of him? He says, depart from me for I never knew you. And then I come up with all of my excuses, right? I use the word like Lord. Certainly if I use the word Lord, then he's my Lord, right? He judges me in righteousness. There are no excuses later. He'll say, okay, I get what you're saying there. I, I didn't see it that way. My bad. 
He will judge the peoples. Are you a true worshiper of him? He will judge the world in righteousness. So I would just ask you, are you in right standing with him? Nothing cliche, nothing. Are you in a right standing with the creator of the universe? Am I in a right standing with the creator of the universe? You know that new song that he's put in your heart and my heart? I live differently. I have a new purpose now. Is that the cry of your heart? So in conclusion, we see in Psalm 96 the words given to the Israelites and the words given to us. We see the command of praise in verses 1 through 3. We see the recipient of this praise in 4 through 6. We see worship from the nations in verses 7 through 10. We see worship from nature in verses 11 through 13. And so I repeat to you today, there are two options on the shelf. Worship God or worship self. We have to make that decision each and every day, don't we? Yes, we make that decision when the Lord saves us. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to live for Him. But when tomorrow comes, I'm going to make that decision all over again, aren't I? Because someone is going to come and is going to tempt me to live for myself. So how can we apply this to our lives? Sing, fear, ascribe, bring an offering, enter his courts, worship, and tremble before the Lord. Declare his glory among the nations. Tell the nations he reigns and he will judge all peoples. So a couple questions for you. Do you worship any worthless idols? Is there a different God in your life that has captured your heart? If so, turn from that God and turn to the one who has rescued you and has placed you on a firm foundation. Do you approach the Lord casually or with fear and trembling? Is he your buddy? Or is he full of splendor and majesty? I'm going to tie Kenya back into this. We were on our game drive. And Lefty, he was a driver. He was our driver. He pulled us up pretty close to this male lion. Out in the middle of the grassland, it's flat everywhere except for this one little mound. I mean, it's that wide and about that tall, and he's just laying on top of it. We sat there forever, didn't we? Have like 5,000 pictures of him in the same position. So he's just laying up there. Every once in a while, he'd open his eyes so we get a picture with his eyes open, you know. But a lot of times, we think of the lion as majestic, don't we? king of the jungle, right? 
and the grasslands, I guess, because we're in the jungle there. Is he my buddy? Is that lion my buddy? Because you want to get out and you just want to go and go, wow, that lion, that, that's not a good idea. Or do you approach the lion with fear and trembling? Excuse me, approach, look at him with fear and trembling. We did not approach him. How do you view the Lord? Is he just my buddy? Is he just another guy just like me? Are you coming to this place knowing that he is God? How faithful are you to tell the people who God is and what he has done and what he will do? 